Church, we want to hear from the Lord today. We want to hear from the Spirit. So let me invite you to open the Scriptures with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, as we continue our message series, Letters from Jesus. And over the last few weeks, we've been exploring these seven letters from the book of Revelation. Uh, And today we come to the fifth letter, the one to the church in Sardis. Each letter, as we've seen, emphasizes that Jesus knows his people. Jesus knows us. He knows exactly what's going on in his churches. And he's evaluating their spiritual life, their ministry, their devotion to him. You know, what a humbling thought. That Jesus Christ is evaluating Meadowbrook Baptist Church. Seeing all that we say and do. Taking the pulse of The congregation, as we gather, hearing what is taught from the pulpit and what is thought in the pew, what is given for the offering and how the offering is spent, where we go and what we do when we leave this place. Jesus knows it all. He knew about the love problem in Ephesus. He knew about the persecution in Smyrna. He knew about the false teaching and the immorality and the idolatry that threatened the congregations in Pergamum and Thyatira. And he knew about the dead faith that characterized the church in Sardis. And so let's hear from him. Let's hear what he has to say, what he had to say to them and what he has to say to us this morning. So as you find your place in Revelation chapter 3, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. Let's hear what Jesus says to the angel of the church in Sardis write. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life but will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's bow and pray together. Father, we thank You for speaking to us. We thank You that You have spoken to Your church. And Lord, we pray that this morning we would hear from You. Lord, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. We want to hear what You have to say to us. So speak to us now by the presence and power of Your Spirit, the proclamation of Your Word. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. Once again, as we come to another one of uh, these letters from Jesus, uh, the letter begins with a vivid description of Jesus himself. Jesus is the one, verse 1, who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Seven symbolizes completion or perfection in God's word. And often is mentioned in the book of Revelation, here communicating the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So the seven spirits of God is a reference to the Holy Spirit. 
And Jesus has already told us in chapter 1 that seven stars refer to the angels of the seven churches. Probably not limited to these seven angels and these historical churches, but to angels given responsibility to serve every one of God's churches. And so the vision here begins by portraying the Holy Spirit serving Jesus. The two are in perfect agreement, perfect harmony. God is not divided. And the angels also serving their Lord. They are serving Christ. They are working for Him. But the message to this church, the message to Sardis, stings. There is no positive affirmation here. Jesus is bold and he is brief. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. In other words, everything is not as it seems. Appearances may impress the world, but they don't impress God. There's an ancient story, and perhaps you know it, that really drives this point home. There was a nation that needed a king. In fact, they had a king, but their king had become corrupt and conceited. And so they needed another king. And God sent his messenger, Samuel, to identify the new king. Children's author, Sally Lloyd-Jones, tells the story especially well. So listen to her words. She writes, Jesse had seven strong sons. Now, in those days, if you were going to be the king, you didn't have to be the richest or the cleverest, although that was always nice. You had to look like a king, which meant you had to be the the tallest and the strongest. So you could carry the longest swords and biggest armor and defeat everyone. And it didn't hurt to be handsome either. Samuel asked Jesse to bring him each son in turn. So Jesse brought the oldest, tallest, strongest son. This must be the new king, Samuel thought. He looks like a king. But God didn't choose him. You're thinking about what he looks like on the outside, God told Samuel. But I am looking at his heart, what he looks like on the inside. So Jesse showed Samuel his next oldest, tallest, strongest son, but God didn't choose him either. In fact, God didn't choose any of the seven sons. And so Samuel said, is is that all? Jesse laughed. Oh, well, there's the youngest one, but he's just the weakling of the family. He's... Only teeny, bring him, Samuel said. Jesse's youngest son came running up and God spoke quietly to Samuel. This is the one. His name was David. He has a heart like mine, God said. You know, we love that story. We love that story. Sometimes we even memorize the key verse of the story. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees beyond the external Yes, this is an underdog story. We we like that. This is like Northwestern defeating Wisconsin yesterday. This is like Oklahoma State over Texas. Perhaps Mississippi State over Texas A&M, if you want to call that uh, an underdog story. This is like Vanderbilt over Arkansas, right? (laughs) Maybe next year, right? But how long do we really remain impressed with the underdog? We want a winning team. We want a superstar. We want a champion. We we like to hold up a hero. Hercules, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, the Incredibles. I mean, really, did anyone's kids ever approach them and say, Mom, Dad, 
this year for Halloween, I want to dress up like Steve Urkel from Family Matters. Because, you know, even though he was a really annoying nerd, deep down he was a good friend and a nice guy. Anybody have kids that came to him with that request? How about Screech uh, from uh, Saved by the Bell or from or the boy from the Diary of a Wimpy Kid? You know, appearances and reputations really do matter in our eyes. But Jesus is not so impressed. Jesus wants something more than external association, more than outward reputation. He wants disciples. He wants men and women, boys and girls who truly follow after him. Jesus calls disciples, not nominal Christians. He calls disciples. Nominal means in name only. An external association without any real internal commitment or transformation, like possessing a student ID without being enrolled in any classes, like being uh, affiliated with a certain political party but never showing up and, and voting in an election. Jesus confronts Sardis Fellowship Church. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And when reputation doesn't match reality, there's hypocrisy. Jesus distinguishes between authenticity and hypocrisy. He distinguishes between authenticity and hypocrisy. This letter is about authentic faith. The church in Sardis wasn't the first group of believers to have this issue. In fact, listen to what God said through the prophet Isaiah more than 700 years earlier. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 19, the Lord says, These people... These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. In other words, they talk about me, they sing to me, they pray to me, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Outward religious practice devoid of inner devotion may fool the eyes of men, but God sees right through it to the condition of our hearts. In fact, Jesus used the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his day is an example for his disciples of what not to do how how not to practice the faith matthew chapter 6 verse 1 jesus said be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them verse 2 so when you give to the needy do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others Verse 5, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. You see, church, Jesus says there's a kind of religion that fools the eyes, that pleases and impresses people, that appears obedient and successful and attractive and gains a big following, but it dishonors me because it's not really about me. It may appear to be about me. But it looks a whole lot like the world. He says often it's really about the image and the persona of those practicing the religion. Perhaps it's about the image or persona of a particular leader. Friends, there is every indication that Sardis Fellowship Church was established and successful in the eyes of their community. Well respected and growing. They were drawing a crowd 
They were delivering an encouraging and uplifting message of hope. They were providing a comfortable and soothing atmosphere. And yet Jesus indicts them because they have failed to take him seriously. Church, we must take Jesus seriously. We must take Jesus seriously. His words here aren't just for Sardis. They're also for us. Every church in every town in every time must take Christ's words to heart. Yes, his words to Sardis, but all of his words, for he is the author of all life and the one to whom we must all give an account. He rules over all, meaning he reigns over our lives. He is sovereign, and yet he is Savior. Our Savior. Sardis Fellowship Church was sprinkling a little Jesus Perhaps like you might put a little salt on your baked potato. They were sprinkling a little Jesus on what they already had and calling it faith. No wonder their family, friends, and fellow Sardisites liked them. As one commentator put it, the church at Sardis was the perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. The problem, church, is that Christianity is offensive. Jesus himself said, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. I'm willing to bet those verses weren't printed in large print on a church banner that was displayed in the sanctuary of Sardis Fellowship Church. We'll skip over those and any other divisive words of Jesus in our gospel presentations for too much emphasis on sin and submission is marketing sabotage. Denying self. Setting aside selfish comforts, desires, and pursuits. Losing our lives for Jesus. No one wants to go down that road. No one is going to willingly give up personal freedom and pleasure in the pursuit of the self Centered life. No one, that is, except for those who have seen the glory and the grace of God poured out at Calvary. Those who've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, those who've witnessed and experienced the mercy and the kindness and the patience and the forgiveness of God will readily and joyfully lay down their lives for the glory and the renown of Jesus Christ. Jesus calls disciples, not nominal Christians. Meaning he distinguishes between authenticity and hypocrisy and meaning he desires pure devotion over public reputation. Jesus desires pure devotion over public reputation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer took Jesus seriously in the midst of suffocating cultural pressure to succumb to Hitler's distorted dictum that the Aryan race was superior to the rest of the world. So while many German pastors sat silently for fear of retaliation, Bonhoeffer encouraged faithfulness to Christ. He spoke up. He called believers to consider the cost of discipleship that's truly presented by our Lord. The opposite of discipleship, Bonhoeffer writes, is to be ashamed of Christ and His cross and all the offense which the cross brings in its train. You see, Bonhoeffer understood that devotion to Jesus matters most. More than safety, more than comfort, more than riches, more than success. That true life is found in losing your life. And so he did. 
He left the safety of America and returned to Germany in the midst of World War II to publicly renounce Hitler and the Nazis, a move which ultimately led to his own arrest and assassination in April of 1945. You see, for him, it wasn't about public reputation. It was about devotion to his Lord. Jesus desires pure devotion over public reputation, and Jesus denounces elevating cultural trends over Christ-centered community. He denounces elevating cultural trends over Christ-centered community. You see, dead faith may take on a couple different forms today. Certainly, the kind of religious elitism of the Pharisees, any expression or practice of the faith that belittles and betrays full dependence upon God's unmerited mercy for salvation. In other words, any sort of practice of the faith that is more about us than it is about God but earning our righteousness, earning God's satisfaction, any kind of practice of the faith that discounts God's grace, His undeserved kindness and mercy and forgiveness of sins. But dead faith can also disguise itself in other ways. It can disguise itself under the guise of the current cultural trends where church becomes all about the latest marketing trends or gimmicks or felt needs or audience satisfaction or the experience of the worshiper. If church success was simply measured by size alone, then Sardis would have passed with flying colors. They were bustling and busy. But Jesus says they were spiritually dead. Keeping up with architectural and technological trends, yet yielding to the prevailing ideas and values of the culture rather than submitting to Jesus Christ alone. Friends, may we submit to Jesus Christ alone. May we be more concerned with growing in Him than growing our market. May we be consumed with Christ our Savior and critical of cultural trends that downplay the glory of Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the need for the Spirit. May we be broken over our unfaithfulness and the lostness of those in our community. May we strive for Christ-exalted and Christ-centered community that positions each of us under the headship of Jesus, growing in Jesus Christ together. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul gives a picture of the church and he says, From Jesus, the head, the Lord, from Jesus, the whole body, that is the body of believers, the church, From Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, that is, every person who's a part of the body, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Church, may we recognize and reject the rampant nominal Christianity that has gripped much of our nation for decades and return to gospel foundations. Jesus says, repent and return to gospel foundations. Repent and return to gospel foundations. The command of Christ is clear here. Wake up, he says. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. He says, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. You see, the dead faith of the majority in Sardis Fellowship is not saving faith. It isn't the faith of Abraham or Moses or Esther or Rahab or 
David. It isn't the living, vibrant faith of Isaiah or Elijah, not of Mary and Martha or Peter or Paul. It isn't the pure faith in Christ that saved the masses, the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. It isn't the trust in the cross alone that has ever since given sinners new life in Asia and Africa Australia and America. It isn't the pure devotion of the genuine minority still serving faithfully in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. What a graphic image to portray those who have been faithful to Jesus. Those who have been pure. Those who have not contaminated and compromised cultural values antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, the dead faith Jesus describes is a false faith. A shallow, man-centered, culturally comfortable, consumer-oriented distortion of the offensive yet life-giving message of God's justice and mercy colliding on the cross of Calvary, calling sinners to repent and receive life in Christ Jesus forever. Friends, this redemptive story of miraculous mercy and forgiveness forever is the gospel foundation upon which Christ's church must be built. So where we have strayed, when we stray, if we stray, may we together repent and return to gospel foundations here at Meadowbrook Baptist Church. Friends, Jesus calls disciples. He calls followers of the King and students of the Savior, not nominal Christians. So friend, don't be fooled into responding to some uninvasive shallow, weak invitation to incorporate Jesus into your life. To sprinkle a little Jesus onto what you already are, do, and and value. For that is not Christianity and that is not what Jesus offers you. He offers something radically different. Something much grander and greater. He offers you and me new life. A life with a radical reorientation around the one who spread out the earth upon its foundations. The one who slung the stars in the heavens. The one who knit each of us together in our mother's wombs. He invites us to experience restoration and renewal, joy and thanksgiving, life with him now and forever and ever and ever. He invites us to find joy and delight in knowing him. The joy and delight that we were created for. And he invites us to be claimed by him as his very own. Follow Christ and he will claim you forever. Jesus says, follow me and I will claim you forever. Verse 5, Jesus says, I will never blot out the name of the faithful one who follows me from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. You see, the book of life is the heavenly register, so to speak, of God's people, those who turn from sin and trust in the Savior, it is God's list of those who took Jesus Jesus seriously, of those who lived here for Him. The call of Christ is costly, but it is not confusing. His word is consistent. His words here compute with His earlier words to His disciples, recorded by Matthew. Whoever acknowledges Me before others... I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Not a gimmick to get folks to walk an aisle and sign a card and get added to a church role, but a clear call for sinners to repent and follow the Savior. To become disciples of the King. To profess faith in Him and to live for Him until His return. It is a call to living faith, a call to discipleship, a call to find true and lasting life. Friend, have you responded to Christ's call? 
Will Jesus claim you as his own? Will he acknowledge you before the Father one day? Friend, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Jesus calls disciples to walk by faith in him. A living, vibrant faith. And to live with him forever. Respond to his call today. Turn to the Savior. Trust Christ who gave his life for you and invites you to know and enjoy, to delight in him now and forever. Turn and trust him. And Father, may that be true in our lives. May we live for you. Lord, may we be disciples. May we follow the Lamb. May we heed your call. May we bow before you. May we live our lives devoted to to Jesus. Lord, may we serve you all of our days. Lord, forgive us where we are in error. Forgive us where we have downplayed what it means to know and to follow Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the joy and the privilege of knowing that we are yours, knowing that you claim us as your own, knowing that you invite us to know and to walk with you, to talk with you, Lord, to serve you, and one day to gather with your people around your throne and to exalt you and to rejoice in you and to experience your presence and provision and protection forever and ever. Lord, may we long for the day because we long for you. It's in the name of Christ that we pray.